On Devil Times 5 this month, we look at one of the legends of American horror, the instantly recognisable writer, director and composer, John Carpenter. Yes, you are listening to John Carpenter's Devil Times 5, episode John Carpenter's 52. I'm John Carpenter's Cliff, and joining me today are my fellow John Carpenter's Devils, John Carpenter's Luke, John Carpenter's Bryony, and John Carpenter's Emily. Hello. John Carpenter's hello. And our guest devil this month is John Carpenter fan, stand-up comedian, rock musician, musical theatre disruptor, plus actor. Please welcome the almighty Nick Helm. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's been a long time no see, actually, isn't it? I haven't seen you in years. Yeah, but I saw you on the chase last week, so... You did see me on the chase. It was repeated on challenge. <laughs> I feel like we have caught up a little bit, yes. Last time I saw you on stage, you were doing that um, brilliant uh, Edinburgh 2019 show, I Think You Stink, the B-movie horror oh, musical. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah, yeah. You think you'll be doing that again? Any chance of a sequel? I'd definitely be doing it again. Because I wrote it in 2008, and no one watched it in 2008. And then I didn't do it in 2018 for some reason, so I did it in 2019 for like an 11-year anniversary. But I've always wanted to write a follow-up called Son of Stink. Right. I really enjoyed it in 2019. Yeah, it's a great cast as well. Yeah, amazing casts. Right, well, awesome that you could join us. Uh, thanks for coming aboard. Let's kick things off with our highs and lows of recent horror reviewing. Brian, you can start. Uh, okay, so I rewatched The Happening again like the second time in like a month because I think I've been depressed what is about the happening that relieves the depression it's just so shit it's just so i just love watching um gooey bechamel like just look very blank and stoned and i love marky mark being a science teacher doing science douchebag and uh running from wind going just give me a minute wind um it's it's just so bad and it's just like a really bad hug but, you know, at least it's trying. <laughs> okay, Luke. My high uh, is going to be Godzilla vs. Kong. I know it's, it's, I'm going to class this as horror because there's monsters. Um, it's just ridiculous. The whole thing had surprises and did something with one of the Godzilla characters, which I think has been the best they've done in the monsterverse. It's got a good story. Um, there's a little girl that helps Kong, um, who is deaf. <laughs> And Kong learns sign language, and the little girl actually in the film is, is deaf in real life, so it's quite nice to see that type of story in the film. And just the fights are, are brilliant. Does it not just look like two cartoons having a punch-up, though? Because that's the problem I have with those sort of blockbusters. The actual CGI is, is so good on it that the, when they're fighting the city, the actual cinematography, because they, they're meant to be in Hong Kong, and um, all the lights and everything, like the, the colours and everything they're using, just, it just looks perfect for, for what it is. So did King Kong think that he'd read his name but ended up in hong kong is that, is that what's going on there? <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe that was is that, that was a grade grade one reading or something why did they put in like an uplifting story about a deaf girl helping the monkey because kong's been captured and the scientist that is sort of keeping kong in this fake environment um her daughter is the little girl and every day she goes into the jungle when kong's walking around and, and it's, it's just goes and sees him. It, it, I know it doesn't really make much sense, but it's just like a nice little thing they put That's in the film. It's what you want in your horror, isn't it? There's monsters in it. There's one okay. point where Kong goes to another sort of world with loads of weird monsters and ripping them apart. So there's those parts of horror. Um, and then my low is um, the film Shortcut, which is a new British horror about some students on a bus in the middle of the woods. Um, they have to stop in the road because there's something on the road. The bus driver gets out and then there's someone that gets on the bus and hijacks the bus. 
and they think that's their worst thing, but then they get into a tunnel and the bus breaks down and there's a monster in, in the tunnel. <laughs> like, it, that idea sounds fun, but all the characters are just really, really stupid. And it's one of those films where the monster is scared by light. If anyone shines a torch at yeah. it, it's, it just it sort of backs off. And it's like, that's, that idea's been done before and it just doesn't really seem seem to work. So I was a bit disappointed with that. Both of these films sound so stupid. I think they might replace The Happening as my go-to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is very stupid, and it's all—it's meant to be like um, because all these British school kids, one of them's like a goth and just hates everyone on the bus. Oh my but, god! Yes. Yeah. So. Any recognisable British TV stars in it? They usually are. Uh, no. No. None. It's quite all young actors, and I'll watch anything with Danny Dyer in it, but um, it doesn't sound like it's going to be that, nah. is it? Nah. Nick, why don't you go next? The High. I rewatched uh, Strangers on a Train, the Alfred Hitchcock film, because I think it was a question on the. <laughs> I'm watching a lot of the chase, <laughs> <laughs> and I think, and I think it was a question on the chase, which was which sport is featured in Alfred Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train? Was it cricket, football, or tennis? And I was just like, well, it's tennis, isn't it? Because that famous scene where the guy is watching him when he's playing tennis and then everyone else is like looking left to right following the ball and then oh, there's yeah. this one guy in the middle of the shot that's just staring at him while he's playing tennis. Uh, so I rewatched that and it's so good. It's just really solid. Although I really want to watch uh, Kong versus Godzilla but I didn't want to pay I didn't want to pay 16.99 to watch it in my living room because one of my favorite films that I saw over the last few years was Kong Skull Island which I thought uh-huh. was much better than it had any right to be. And I thought it was so much better than the first Godzilla film. What about if it was Godzilla versus Kong at tennis? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like ping pong, like King Kong. <laughs> like he would win, right? <laughs> well, ping pong. <laughs> yeah. Again, he's misread the sign. He thought it was his name. He ended up in a ping pong contest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I thought Strangers on the Train was re- is, is really great. And it's, uh, yeah... It's very tense and tight and there's no sort of like uh, fat on it. Anything else? So this was sort of my worst film, but also it's so weird that I also think that it's worth watching, which was uh, the Kevin Smith film Tusk. Oh, yeah. Which is a film where a guy kidnaps another guy and then turns him into a human walrus. It's well made, so that's sort of like jarring because Kevin Smith sort of like focuses more on the scripts i'm saying politely so (laughs) as a filmmaker he's sort of a little bit sort of basic but tusk felt like an actual film and if you told me if you told me someone else had directed it i'd have fully believed you and then it's so weird and unpleasant but it's also quite funny and light it's like a combination of lots of different styles and genres that are all sort of like put together yeah it's a really weird film that is simultaneously sort of terrible but also amazing that it even got made um, Emily? Um, I've got two highs this month, though one of them is a film we've talked about many, many times before, um, the original Suspiria. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it's still a beautiful waking nightmare. Absolutely fucking love it. And um, the other one is Alice, Sweet Alice, which is um, a film from the 70s Ooh. that I haven't seen, which is quite unusual. Um, yeah. It's got um, kids being stabbed at their first Holy Communion, Catholic guilt and evil children. And it's also a little bit camp and it's got some interesting character stuff in it. So, yeah, really liked it. And a good mask. 
Yeah, and a good mask, an iconic mask. Yeah, it's a good film, that. Um, my low is Neil Marshall's new one, The Reckoning, which is like a Mark of the Devil, Witchfinder General kind of thing, set in the olden days. It's this woman who's like accused of witchcraft, all that kind of thing. It starts with a 13-minute musical montage, um, showing you where we are up to the story so far which is like only needs a minute because you've got the point then 12 minutes later it's like yeah yeah all right get the fuck on with it i'll get the point um and it's, it's just very boring from there on out until the last 15 minutes it finally picks up um but it does have one of the best kills of the year probably so uh it's, <laughs> i'm not gonna say it's worth watching for that but maybe just watch it for that mm-hmm. um and my high is a little more flesh too directed by sam ashurst from the uh, Arrow video podcast is obviously the sequel to his A Little More Flesh um, which starred Elf Lyons who we had on uh, as a guest devil a few months ago. Uh, she's not in this one apart from a little cameo at the start where she refuses to be in the sequel uh, so he has to go for a plan B and he gets a couple of friends to just film themselves doing mundane things and send it to him and then he will somehow construct a horror film out of the mundane stuff they send him. So like at first I was like, well, this I'm, I'm interested in how this is going to play out because it's, it's going to have to be really clever to make something horrific out of the footage they're sending him. Um, he ends up not exactly doing that, making a horror film out of what they're sending him. It goes a lot more disturbing than I expected. It's really clever. It's a completely new form of horror that I've never seen before and it's, yeah... It's really good. I was very impressed. Well done, Sam Ashurst. And uh, listen to the Arrow Video podcast because it's brilliant. Um, And also, I want to give a quick shout out to listener Phoebe Ball, a film studies student who got in touch asking for our thoughts on clowns in horror. So CJ and I met up with her on Zoom and it was like we were recording a mini private podcast, just chatting shit for half an hour about clown horror. Um, It was great fun. So if any other film students want to interview any of us devils for your horror-themed dissertations, (laughs) why not hit us up on Twitter or Facebook? Specifically clowns, because Cliff loves No, no, dumb clowns, dumb clowns. (laughs) Um, Also, if it hadn't been for the reckoning being so bad, then my low would have been Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which I watched ahead of that, because it's rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those films I'd just put off for years because I always thought it looked shit, and turns out it is. It is shit, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's the good kind of shit. Like some no, parts of it. No. Some parts of it are, but the majority of it is just the bad kind of shit. Yeah, they're making a sequel now as well. Oh, really? Yeah, uh. the brothers have finally said they're going to make a sequel, but a 3D one. Wow, that's <laughs> what the world needs. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get this month's theme underway. It's the so-called Master of Horror, the Big JC, the Carnage from Carthage, New York, the Haddonfield Halloween head honcho, whose middle name is Howard. It's John Carpenter's. Why do birds suddenly appear? And Nick has chosen for our first feature, 1994's In the Mouth of Madness. This one will drive you absolutely mad. The riots began because the stores could not meet the demand of Sutter Kane's novel In the Mouth of Madness. Kane disappeared two months ago without a trace. Isn't the guy that writes horror books? You can forget about Stephen King. Kane outsells them all. I need to know if he's alive or dead, and I need that book. It's a setup. It's a setup. I just have to work out how it's set up. Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers. See this? It's a map. This whole thing has been staged. You just get out. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. 
<sighs> attempting to find the missing horror author Sutter Kane, an insurance fraud investigator finds himself stuck in the fictional town where Kane sets his surreal stories. Nick, so you picked this as uh, one of our main features this month. I think it's brilliant. I grew up watching John Carpenter films. I remember like my best Christmas was, I can't remember how old it was, but I got um, American Werewolf in London and The Thing on those four front VHS videos, which yeah. were like four ninety nine, And I think you got 10 views out of them before the quality of the tape sort of like started deteriorating. And um, I just re-watched them over and over and over again. And The Thing is like my all-time favourite. And I think John Carpenter and Kurt Russell as sort of a double act a cinematic double act, one of my favourite pairings. Um, And so I'd seen all of these films growing up, and then it was about three, probably about two or three years ago, where I couldn't sleep, and my girlfriend was asleep, and I wanted to watch a film, and I never watch films on my phone. (laughs) And I bought In the Mouth of Mad... Because I'm always... I'm such a John Carpenter fan. I've been to see him live, and I've been to when I went to New York. There, they, they live screening, and so we took one night off of our holiday to go and see they live in New York. And you know, um, I, it's like he is a filmmaker that is sort of very sort of uh, bare bones and quite a basic filmmaker, but within that, he fits a lot in. It's interesting that you say he's a quite bare bones basic filmmaker. Um, I, I mean, mm. I, I, I agree. Um, <laughs> So what is it that really stands out for him? What are his tropes? What 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 makes a John Carpenter film a John Carpenter film? They're all fun. All of his films are fun, apart from the shit ones. <laughs> <laughs> there is sort of like a cut-off point with John Carpenter. Yeah. I mean, I'm a massive Alice Cooper fan as well. So, and Shep mm-hmm. Gordon, who's Alice Cooper's manager, produced a few sort of Alice Cooper movies. I think when he does Prince of Darkness, which has Alice Cooper in it, that technically should be my favourite film of all time. And I, I, I'm not that I can't stand it, but I th- it's a very boring film. And it's sort <laughs> of like the third time he's remade Rio Bravo. No, uh, Ghost from Mars is the third time he's remade Rio Bravo. And uh, Prince of Darkness is the second time he's made it. And, uh, and Assault on Precinct th- 13 was the first time he'd remade Rio Bravo. So he's kind of like going through the same things. So I, I always thought like 90s onwards is kind of like... Um, there's no more great John Carpenter. At the end of the 90s, you got Vampires, Ghosts of Mars. You're better off remembering John Carpenter by not watching those films. We'll get onto all those later, but um, In the Mouth of Madness, let's, let's focus on that for now. I mean, for the first time ever, I have practically no notes on one of our main features. It's like, <laughs> it's not bad and it's not brilliant and it's competent and it doesn't push any boundaries. And when it came out in 95, when it was at the cinemas here, it was good for an 80s horror kid because there's a little bit of kind of Nightmare on Elm Street 3 psychiatric hospital set in. There's what looks like the monster from the end of Hellraiser, that cop who's basically maniac cop, some creature effects, some gnarly makeup. It's the sort of thing I liked, but I don't think it actually adds much, brings much to the table, adds much. It's, it's fine. It's, it's a good film, but it's... Um, it's, a, it's a good romp. It's, it's not one I've watched or felt like I've needed to watch again since 1995. I think it's got an amazing soundtrack. I think it's a little bit confused uh, because um, it's... Sort of John Carpenter's version of an H.P. Lovecraft. Um, yeah. But all of like the main references within it seem to be sort of Stephen King. So the book covers Ooh. all look like Stephen King books. And Sutter Kane is kind of like a Stephen King. And Hobbs End is sort of like Castle Rock where yeah. Stephen King sets all his stuff. 
So it's kind of like all of the references to Stephen King, but John Carpenter is kind of like making an H.P. Lovecraft tribute. So I imagine the script was kind of more Stephen King and uh, John Carpenter has done Stephen King. So he thought, I'll bring in H.P. Lovecraft and do all the visuals like that. I just think that it's really restrained and subtle. And I think Sam Neill is incredible in it. And I'd heard like all of these stories about what a terrible film it was all this time, so I'd always avoided it. John Carpenter stopped making really great films now, so I've got like a couple of films saved for like a rainy day at one point in the future when he's not around anymore. And one of them was in the Mouth of Madness, and I eventually watched it because I suspected it would be like Prince of Darkness level kind of. It's okay, but not his best, and it's almost as good as some of his eighties films, I think. Okay. It's definitely his best 90s movie. The one thing that bothered me the most is when they're driving, Sam Neill doesn't look at the road. He's just looking mm-hmm. at the woman next to him the whole time, and I think I don't know why that bothered me so much. And um, I didn't think it was as subtle as it wanted to be. Like, the part where they say, oh, um, what about people that don't read books? And then he says, there's a movie... And they go to the cinema and it's that movie playing. I just felt... Oh, I do like the ending, actually. I think that's pretty cool. It didn't completely work for me. Like, I think there's some good imagery at points. Like, I really like that floating car scene where the thunderstorm's happening underneath the car. Um, I think the whole bike scene's, like, sort of a bit weird as well when there's a different kid going back and forth. Mm. And also when she gets out the car and bends herself backwards and's, like, walking on, on, on all fours. I think, like, scenes like that, are the stuff that that really works, but um, but then it sort of just goes way too slow at points, sort of drags out. And there was too many dream sequences in this one as well. Like I've I've found out from watching most of these films that John Carpenter loves to do dream sequences, and I understand it's meant to show him going mad from everything that's happening, and that's why he's seeing all these certain things. But there's there's just a point where it felt like it was a bit too much. Yeah, it's a cheap way to get scares in, isn't it? Happens all the time in um, that Neil Marshall film, The Reckoning, actually. Every time you think, oh, wow, it's taking a different direction, it's going a bit supernatural, and then, oh, she wakes up, it was a dream. <laughs> For fuck's sake. But I think that's what's good about the film, though, is that, that there are so many dream sequences that eventually the whole film becomes like its own dream sequence. The tone is really weird. I know that Sam Neill, when he read it, he thought it was a comedy. So when he played it like he was in a he comedy. He did, yeah. And I think that if you treat it like it's a comedy with kind of like these sinister elements to it, I think it works really well. And I think that it feels like, it, like, like Dario Argento, when you're watching it, you know, there's that sequence in Inferno, at the beginning of Inferno, when uh, she's underwater. And it's like watching a waking dream, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I feel like In the Mountains of Madness is... It's that tone in a way that a lot of John Carpenter films feel very sort of like rough and ready. And this one feels sort of like um, it sort of transports you into sort of like a dreamlike state. I think it's a really clever, weird film. It's interesting that you said that he was playing it like it was a comedy because there's a couple of bits in this that, especially if you've watched it a couple of times, you, you kind of pick up on little gestures and things that he does that are absolutely hilarious. Like one of them is the mad cartoony face he has when he wakes up after having the nightmare on the bus. And there's also the scene at the end where he's um, he's met the editor and kind of explains what's going on. And then he realises that everything's fucked and he kind of backs out of the room in a really funny way. So, like, <laughs> he sort of backs out, realises he's not backed out far enough and then backs out again. And it's kind of like... <laughs> I have a, a kind of an appreciation of things where you're not 100% sure if they're taking the piss. 
And this is very definitely in that category. So yeah, it is kind of dreamy and um, and silly, but then that kind of fits in with the Lovecraft thing. The best of John Carpenter's films, I think, are like sort of old style horror comics, like the sort of the things that kind of Creepshow was based on, where you you just get like one story that's very, very condensed and it's probably pulled its influences from loads and loads of places. So you get the kind of basicness kind of from that. And sometimes you just get the odd kind of like sudden panel, which is like bright and splashy and you go, what the fuck is that? With this one, certainly it feels like he's having fun with it. So that's that's good. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say what Emily was going to say, but um, not as eloquently. Um, <laughs> or just like, I like it, it's funny. I like when he does funny films because they're funny i would describe it as a good romp and yeah sam neill was fucking i love watching sam neill go mad um mm. in the more serious horror films that he's done he goes mad and then this one where he's just he is having a fucking ball with it i mean from the first line where he's like sorry about the balls it's like this is gonna be a silly film <laughs> mm. and um it continued to be silly and also acting fact Do I have to yes yeah, yeah 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 hold on to your hat I've got so many this month. The little paper boy near the end of the film, the paper boy is Hayden Christensen. No. Yeah. Oh, really? That's top- yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not even on my list. Uh, yeah. He was in Star Wars. Yeah, well, there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> What's your acting fact, Brian? Oh, Vigo from Ghostbusters is in it. <laughs> don't know who that is. Vigo. Ghostbusters 2, he's the evil guy oh, in the painting. Yeah, painting man. I haven't seen Ghostbusters since the 80s, oh. so, you know. <laughs> Do you want to, shall I go through all of, because I've got a lot, shall I just no. get them over and done with no. now? No? No. Can, oh, do you know what? I'll save my other one, because, I mean, the rest of them are really oh, yeah. obvious, but I'll save yeah, my yeah, other save, one. Save, oh, yeah, save it, save it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I can't wait. I'm going to have to wait. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have not been in the most upbeat of moods when I watched this for the podcast because I know when I saw it at the cinema in the 90s, I did enjoy it more. I, I just think maybe I'm a bit down on 90s horror. <laughs> and it, it very much is a 90s horror. It is. Maybe it's just missing something to make it awesome. But but the way you've been talking about it, it's like, yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? It was that time in horror when um, computers were a bit shit and people were moving away from physical effects. So when um, her head's all wonky and she's coming out of the car, mm. that looks awesome. But there was this weird time in the 90s where people moved more away from the cool stuff that worked to, oh, look at this new stuff, it might work. And because we were looking at it from like 20, 30 years later, it just looks really shit. Everything looks like a screensaver. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, what's everybody scared of? It's a flying toaster. Species has that problem, because I love species, because tits, but um, it has that problem because this just looks shit a lot of the time. Whereas, you know, the thing holds up. Yeah. What you want is is good old-fashioned practical tits. Yeah, practical Practical tits. tits, Yeah, none of your CGI ones. Yeah, Yeah. I just want proper grass-fed practical tits. (laughs) Operated by a man with lots of strings and shift things you're thinking of others aren't you That's i others. don't know it's been a long month i've watched it happening twice leave me alone it was in mid 90s so there was that bit where they were just bringing in computer effects and i even think that the bit when he rips his face up like a book that like doesn't look bad that bit but it's also it's surreal do you know what oh. i mean because it's not something that's meant to be real and so i think that the fact that you can maybe see a bit of blue screen work in there i think that actually adds to it it's not as good as the thing, Big Trouble in Little China, everything like that. But it is leagues better than Prince of Darkness and uh, Ghost from Mars and Escape from LA, you know? Right. 
Oh, I don't know. I really like Escape from LA. It's such a bad film. I know. It's such a bad film. so much. It's interesting how much even, like, proclaimed um, John Carpenter fans will admit that a lot of his films are terrible. Like, absolutely (laughs) terrible. I openly really enjoy terrible films, though, which is why I'm just like, (laughs) hey, man, don't don't talk about Escape from LA. I like it. But I rewatch Escape from LA every time it's on TV, you know? It's just like the promise of it's John Carpenter, it's Kurt Russell, and Bruce Campbell's in it, and you think, this is going to be amazing. And then Bruce Campbell's in it for, like, three seconds, and you can't even tell it's him. Escape from LA is bad, but rewatchable. But it's still bad. What we're going to do now is work our way chronologically through Carpenter's horror movies. First one, Halloween. You've got to believe me, officer. He is coming to Haddonfield. Uh, you know what Halloween is. Escape maniac returns to his hometown and starts killing babysitters. Now, I've soured on Halloween over the years. I think it's not very good. <laughs> it's, it's got the best theme tune of anything ever. And that elevates it. But it's quite dull. And Laurie is, is stupid. <laughs> There's that bit where she runs across the road, runs into her house, knowing that Michael's about to attack her or is stalking her. And what's the first thing she does? Switch off all the lights so that she's walking around in the dark. Why? And they run upstairs as well, don't they? Into the bathroom. Yeah. They make very poor decisions throughout this film. They really do. But it's not just that. I mean, it's a basic slasher. And I've just gone off basic slashers over the years, I think. I feel like it still really works. Like, I've always thought the scene where the guy gets stabbed up against the wall and is just kept against the wall was such a good scene. And then Michael goes back in the whole ghost costume. Like, I think those bits just really work. Yeah, bits of it look a little bit shonky now, but I still think it's... I don't know if it's because it does still hold up or if it's because I really loved it when I was a kid and it properly shipped me up the first time I saw it because I watched it when I was on my own in the house. And if you're in a house that's creaky and you're watching the scenes where you don't know where Michael Myers is and the use of sound and everything, it will really, really unsettle you. I think it's a very well shot and very well made film and still quite unsettling. And the opening scene is brilliant. Uh, yeah, I noticed uh, Michael's sister's boyfriend in that opening scene. He's a, he's a bit of a one-minute man, isn't he? He really is, yeah. In and out, <laughs> put his trousers on, see ya. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she needed to get a new boyfriend. Maybe that was why um, he stabbed her. He's like, no, you need to do better than that. Uh, seems a bit victim-blaming, though, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, Nick? I think it's great. It's obviously his most iconic film, but it's, it's never been my favourite. I don't get excited about the thought of re-watching it. I, mm. I, for years, I even preferred H2O. Um, <laughs> really? And, um, <laughs> and, and then um, I watched it last Halloween. I watched it this Halloween that's just gone, and um, I hadn't seen it in a few years, and I just think it's really... It's really tight. It's really restrained. There's hardly any kills. So if you're watching it for a body count, then you're kind of going to be disappointed. But I thought all three of those main girls were really great. I thought they had different personalities. And it's quite rare to sort of like invest so much into actually building up some characters in one of these films. Uh, It wasn't the first slasher, but it was the blueprint. So I think it's easy to forget that when you're going back and watching it, because you can compare it with everything that's followed it. But when you rewatch it as like a historical milestone in cinema, I think it's really strong. And this last Halloween when I watched it, it was the first time that I really appreciated it for it being scary, uh, for the pacing. It's the most I've enjoyed it. It does look amazing. I've got it on UHD now, UHD Blu-ray, and um, some of the outdoor daylight scenes, they look amazing they look you know those um sort of 70s retro instagram filters it's like that but it's the actual real thing in the 70s and it does look gorgeous right 
the thing that you're saying earlier, drawing parallels between um, John Carpenter and Stephen King. One of the things I don't like about Stephen King, and we talked about it on our Stephen King episode, is how sort of homely and homespun and folksy his stuff is. How he's obsessed with this, like, you know, perfect little American small town. And I think Haddonfield would be one of those towns. It's just because we're only focused on the younger people. There's that bit where they go to where the hardware store is on the corner and you see, like, the local adults milling around. It's like... Yeah, it's one of those sort of fucking towns, isn't it? One of those towns that bores the shit out of me whenever I see one on film. So I think that's one of the things that puts me off Halloween a little bit. But I don't know, every time that music starts up, I'm like, well, fucking hell. I mean, it's a banger of a tune, isn't it? It Mm. really does make the film better. But, you know, as far as the Halloween films go, for me, Halloween 3 all the way. (laughs) Oh, I love Halloween 3. (laughs) What are you laughing at, Bryony? Oh, just the song. I told you the story about me and Jack accidentally like shagging yes. to that fucking song. So it's just, yes. <laughs> I, I giggle whenever I hear Halloween 3. You've had sex to happy, happy Halloween. <laughs> it came on a mix. <laughs> so did I. Yes. Cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> this has already been discussed in this podcast as well. We're just dragging up old graves. And uh, dumping them on someone's bed for no yeah. reason. How does he even do that? Um, right, so my name, right, is Cliff Barnes. And whenever anyone of a certain age meets me, they say, what, as in Dallas? So how come no one goes up to Sam Loomis and says, what, as in Psycho? Like, it's unrealistic. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's quite he's quite an angry, grumpy man, isn't he, Loomis? So probably if anybody does that to him, he'll, he'll punch him. Would he? Can you see Loomis punching anyone? Well, no, it's, it's Donald Pleasance. He probably wouldn't punch anyone. He'd probably just kind of, like, huff at them in an angry way. He wouldn't punch a fly. <laughs> now I'm wondering if anyone's ever punched a fly, but not. I've not given it a good go before. Really. I reckon Nick's probably punched a fly or two. I've punched a fly. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might have. <laughs> uh, right, let's move on to uh, 1979's The Fog. Suddenly, out of the night, the fog rolled in. A glowing fog from the sea brings terror and zombie sailors to a sleepy coastal town. Um, I reckon if they showed this film on Brighton Beach, we'd soon be a sleepy coastal town. Mm, the slog. <laughs> the, the slog. The slog. <laughs> yeah. This got brought up at work, right? I said, oh, I watched The Fog last night and my co-worker was like, how was that? And I was like, it was uh, a, a slog. And um, he said, oh, I loved it when it came out. And it's like, yeah, but when it came out, you're an 11-year-old boy and I'm a 32-year-old woman in 2021 watching it. And it was so boring. But had I been an 11-year-old boy in the 80s, I probably would have really enjoyed this because pirates. Well, I was an 11-year-old boy in the 80s and I never rented The Fog. You're completely devoid of joy, though. So, you know, you're not like (laughs) other 11-year-old boys. Every weekend, I'd be down the video shop renting two or three VHS horror films and The Fog just never appealed never to me. Appealed. I just thought it looked really shit. Were you never um, into pirates? It so. might have been because it was a 15 and I was renting 18s by then. And so I only just watched it for the first time this month and um, yeah, it is it's, dull. It is dull, but it is much better than I remember it being because I think I, I saw this as a teenager after having sort of a few years after having seen Halloween and expecting A, that it was going to be scary and B, that it was going to be an adaptation of James Herbert's The Fog. Well, that's one of the things that always put me off as well because yeah. James Herbert's The Fog was the first horror novel I ever read when I was about 11. It's a 12. really nasty, fucked up one as well. So you're just kind of watching this going, what, there's some spooky sailors and a bit of blood. Come on, this is rubbish. Ghost pirates. Yeah, no, gym teachers get their cock and balls cut off with garden shears. Yep, that's right. 
yeah. I've forgotten that scene. So doesn't somebody get eaten by cats as well? Uh, literally the only scene I remember is the gym teacher getting his cock and balls cut off <laughs> by a schoolboy <laughs> with garden shears. Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, but I think that's the climax of a, a quite, um, it's funny enough, a climax of quite an unpleasant scene. Um, but there's there's another bit where just somebody gets eaten by their cats and that's quite horrible as well. Um, so yeah, and, you, and then coming to sort of John Carpenter's The Fog going, how have they made a movie of this and it's not been banned and it's only a 15 and yeah. you're watching it and it's not the same story. Nick, is this one of the ones you're saving for after Carpenter's died or? <laughs> no, I find it completely disposable. Didn't he make like half the film and realise it wasn't interesting enough so he got yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis to come back and he filmed her separately and then they've like taken two films and mashed them together. I don't love The Fog. I don't find the idea of ghost pirates scary. No. Um, but I think the iconography kind of lasts. That's still effective. I just really like the fact that because it was really basic special effects they do a shot of the town and then they would build a model of the town to scale and they paint it black and then they put dry ice all over this black set that they built and because of the black buildings they don't show up but the fog reacts against these black buildings that they built and then they just laid over the fog effect over the actual footage that they had of the building and when you see like how they constructed all that stuff that it's fascinating, but the film is fucking yeah. It's yeah, like you say, it's a slog, isn't it? It's just dull. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised how many um, Carpenter fans really rate it highly. But eh, each their own. Wrong. It plays like a low budget Jaws where they couldn't afford any crowds or uh, even a shark at first, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, the town does seem to only have about ten people in it. I mean, it's it's obviously yeah. meant to be small, but I think if he was cranking these out and it was part of a series of short stories it would be interesting enough it's a short story that's been dragged beyond breaking point it's a 20 minute episode of scooby-doo that's <laughs> <laughs> what it bloody is i've realized that john carpenter really doesn't care about safe driving because i said in the mouth of madness people <laughs> people don't look at the road in this one there's just drink driving yeah He's just drinking a Budweiser while driving. My favourite scene was actually that one where Adrian Barba is just walking down that really long path to the lighthouse <laughs> and a tape of the um, radio identifier playing. It was like something out of an art house film. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of art house dramas where nothing much happens. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, this is more like proper filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's happening. <laughs> It's great. Nothing's <laughs> happening and I'm confused. This is definitely an Oscar winner. <laughs> right, anyway, Carpenter's next horror films were The Thing in 1982 and Christine in 1983, both of which we've done as main features in the past. But I remember them like they were just yesterday. Is there a character called Freddo? No. <laughs> no. Oh, there isn't a Freddo, no. Fredo was left on the cussing room floor because they felt the frog didn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> no, this isn't the kind of movie for a chocolate frog, I'm sorry. He <laughs> <laughs> was scared of the flamethrower, presumably. <laughs> yeah, he kept turning up and going, it's me, Fredo! And they were all like, fuck off, Fredo, you're annoying. Oh, look at the sexy car. Because it's like panning over the bumpers really slowly. Yeah. It's like, oh, tempting, sexy, mad car. I'm not a big fan of Stephen King... I think it's the language that he uses is so folksy. You know, Christine has a, a couple of great examples, like the way that the, the bad guy calls everybody shitters. I mean, shitters. <laughs> who, who calls somebody a shitter? 
highlights there from episodes 30 on Alien Invaders <laughs> and 14 on Stephen King there. Should you wish to go back and listen to old DX5s. Uh, anyway, that brings us to 1987's Prince of Darkness. This whole building is going to have to be encased in concrete. No way. A building this size? I say we launched a fucker in the space. Shut up, Walter. Uh, a group of scientists investigate a big bottle of green stuff that a Catholic priest was keeping watch over until his death. <laughs> Are you laughing at the priest or the bottle of green stuff? The bottle of green stuff. I just thought, you know, I just, I just thought, is he just keeping gunge in the church the whole time? <laughs> just wait for someone to go underneath it and drop it on them. Wait, wait for Mr. Blobby to turn up and cause havoc. <laughs> Which member of the cast would you most like to see gunged? <laughs> All of them. Yeah, they're a right bunch of tits, aren't they? I reckon they can't do gunging on um, Saturday night entertainment shows anymore now that there's Twitter and the people who get gunged on it will just be inundated with tweets from perverts. <laughs> I thought you were going to say now that there's COVID, but yeah, it never occurred to me. That... <laughs> well, a gunge tank full of COVID would be a very different... <laughs> I liked this film. I feel like I'm the only one who liked this film because you're all talking about gunge and COVID. <laughs> I'd not seen Prince of Darkness before. It is a mess, but I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it's like none of it makes any sense. I was sort of going, why are they getting equations from Latin though? I don't understand. I don't understand. None of it made sense. And then uh, that man was teaching physics and that man with the moustache kept doing card tricks and like trying to shag the lady. He did shag the lady. That was a mystery. Um, <laughs> well, it's not a mystery because John Carpenter seems obsessed with the idea that if a man who looks like Tom Atkins turns up, then yeah. a younger woman will immediately Usually. fall into bed with him. Yeah, and even though he was, his whole chat-up line was like, I'm a horrible sexist. I'm just joking, ha ha ha, but why are you clever? But I did like the film. I mean, it's, it's an absolute fucking state. It's a fucking state. It's very much like the horror comics throw everything at the wall. So we've got like Lovecraftian stuff, we've got Catholic stuff, and it's called Prince of Darkness. Does that mean Dracula? No, but there is no. a thing where people turn into bugs. That seems good. You know why that seems good? It's a bit like how people die in Halloween 3. <laughs> yes, yes. Tom Atkins is also in Halloween 3. Yeah, exactly. And falls into bed with a mousy young woman. Oh, he's yeah. got so much hair. Yeah. I wonder if it's anything to do with um, Tom Atkins having that tash because the Tom Atkins substitute in this has the most ridiculous tash um, and John <laughs> Carpenter having a tash. Do you think he's like... If you're going to be a ladies' man, if you're going to get mousy young women into bed, then you have to have a moustache like this. Have a bad tash, yeah. I can't even remember the main guy in Prince of Darkness. I imagine Tom Atkins after an accident with some hair restorer. I remember lots of stuff about Prince of Darkness, except for any of the main plot. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It wasn't really. Yeah. It wasn't really there. It's a bit like the thing in that it's a group of scientists uh, locked away in a place, and bad stuff happens. At random. Yeah, but you've been talking about this Tom Atkins guy who's not Tom Atkins and... Jameson Parker. I've just Googled it on my phone and I've seen a picture of him and I go, oh yeah, there is a thing. And he wears like a jacket for most of it and he has sex at one point, doesn't he? Yeah. I don't remember him at all. <laughs> I remember Donald Pleasance. I remember Alice Cooper. I thought there would be a lot more about a Prince of Darkness than a science religious yeah. experiment that they're doing I mean it just goes on for fucking ages yeah you'd expect this to at least be a tiny bit of satanism given that it's kind of well it is kind of but then it isn't they're like no it's not satan it's his son like, well, why? was Jesus an alien is that the thing they were saying they're like Jesus was an alien or was Satan alien or was Jesus someone was an alien and um, science I thought they were both aliens and science yeah oh yeah. uh, no but if you want to see uh, Jesus versus Satan in Space Alien thing, then watch The Visitor instead. It's much better. Mm. Got the best music. 
yeah. I'd say better than this film. Best music for sex or or just, just for walking down long flights of stairs? <laughs> long flights of stairs and having sex at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah, good. I think the script is dreadful, the dialogue. Um, water. Water is awful, yeah. Water? That... What, the water in the in the tank? No, no. The, 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 water, the... not water. Water. The annoying wisecracking one. I've struggled for ages to figure out what it is I don't like about most American sitcoms, right? Seinfeld excluded, that's a good one. And it's encapsulated in Walter. He delivers all his lines as if they're jokes, but there are never actual jokes in them. And that's what all American sitcoms are like to me. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know if that guy's dialogue in this movie is meant to be jokes or just an indication that he's annoying. He is certainly annoying. Even Donald Pleasance looks bored in this film. Yeah, Donald Pleasance is always good, though, even if he is just sitting there phoning it in. I think I've talked about this before. He's one of those actors where you go, oh, no, it's all right. It's got Donald Pleasance in. And then you're like, no, it's still a shit film. But at least when Donald Pleasance turns up, you can be like, "Mm, Donald Pleasance. But yeah. He does look bored. You can gauge how shit it's going to be. Like, how much of the film is Donald Pleasance going to be sitting? Because if it's a lot, (laughs) it's it's going to be not good. Is it Halloween 4 where uh, Donald Pleasance got very cold during filming? So they would give him a hat to wear and then he'd take the hat off for the shots. And then there's like a scene in Halloween 4 where for some reason he's wearing a hat. And he's not wearing it again. It's because it was his keep warm hat in between (laughs) takes. And they just all forgot to take it off. It's just really sweet. (laughs) Oh, bless him. Well, we've got more Donald Pleasance to come next month, haven't we, Emily? We certainly do. Okay, 1988's They Live is our second feature today, so we'll get onto that later. And we've already done In the Mouth of Madness earlier. So next up is 1995's remake of Village of the Damned. Ah. We're thinking of a brick wall. Following a mysterious blackout, ten women in the same town give birth to sinister psychic children with glowing eyes. I suppose if you count the thing, then this wasn't the first time Carpenter had done a remake, but it seems like an odd gig to take on. I mean, the original Village of the Damned is scary, and it's a bit of a classic. The original is great. Mm -hmm. It's sinister, and as far as a story about kind of alien children and mind control and stuff goes, it's quite subtle, and it's got that one kind of like use of electronic sound effects when they do the scary eyes thing. This film's got none of that. It's just a lot of kids in bad wigs. That it, it's lit like a sort of a like a kind of um, Touchstone Pictures family friendly movie. It's all kind of bright yeah. and sunny, and it's it's very yeah. very strange. Where were they getting the clothes for the kids from? It's like if you've got creepy fucking kids, don't put them in creepy sixties outfits. I reckon amongst their many many skills, the kids were quite good at um, assembling clothes, yeah. but they were shit at fashion because fashion was too human for them. <laughs> I couldn't enjoy this because it was awful, but the clothes really annoyed me because it's just like no one's thought this through as a program. Like, why have they all got the same haircuts? I'm really good at suspending my disbelief. Like, so good at it. But I could not suspend any disbelief for this film. They have the kind of hive mind sort of thing going on. I think I had that haircut when I was five. So I can kind of, like, let them get away with that. Like, the bob with the fringe. I think every five-year-old girl had that haircut in the 90s. Mm, It was compulsory. Yeah, the page boy cut. Yeah. I think it was Holly who used to be on this podcast said that one of them looks like Bill Clinton. (laughs) Yeah, he does. (laughs) (laughs) It's rubbish. It's just rubbish. It's like, um, yeah, it's just a waste of time, isn't it? It's like a waste of it's a waste of everyone's time. 
It's a waste of John Carpenter's time. <laughs> it's a waste of... This is, uh, Mark Hamill's in this one, right? He I haven't is, seen yeah, this in yeah, ages. Yeah. I've got it on Blu-ray. Christopher Reeve's final film before he got paralysed. Poor Christopher yeah, Reeve. It's a sad It's a sad film to watch uh, because it's a waste of everyone's time and talent and it's a waste of your own time and talent. <laughs> and How long is it? An hour and a half? So between us, that's like uh, seven and a half hours. You know what? I, I liked between it. Between us, it's like eight <laughs> hours oh, for of God's sake. that we've wasted. It's, it's shit. I'm going to agree with Cliff. This is a shit film, but I had fun with it because yeah. of how bad it is. I don't know why the film opened with it, and I'm still confused by this scene where the woman goes to her husband who's asleep in bed and says, did you finish last night? <laughs> but there's no, there's no context to it. You don't know why she says it. That's all... <laughs> Maybe she's pregnant because he finished. (laughs) After she'd gone to sleep, he finished. Now she's pregnant, maybe. But, like, yeah, it's just weird. Well, I liked it because, although, you know, the original is a classic and is scary, it wasn't able to be, you know, explicit because it was 1960. So this remake, it says, well, you know, we're not going to make it as scary as the original, but let's fill it up with a load of gore and unnecessary gratuitous deaths and just have fun with it. And it is fun. Well, I hope John Carpenter got a nice synthesizer from his royalty for this film. <laughs> I hope he had a nice day out. He famously said, I haven't seen Village of the Dan, but I have seen the synthesizer it bought me, and it's marvellous. And it, it's wonderful, yes. <laughs> I didn't understand whether Kirstie Alley's character was supposed to be suspicious and sinister, or if that is just what Kirstie Alley's like. And I can't understand how she was ever like a romantic lead in rom-coms and that, because she is so dark and sinister. I think the character is meant to be dark and sinister, but I'm not But then she's not sure. actually doing anything wrong, is she? No, she's... she's just supposed to be like the smoking man in X-Files, isn't she? Yeah, it's the same when they're all round the table having their little she... meeting. Which is clearly just in like the breakout area. Why is that room so dark, though, that they're sat Because they in? can't afford to dress the set. Because they're just like, we can't afford... We've spent all our money on the bar explosion. Just go in the canteen, right? Turn all the lights <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> Kirsty, you sit there, do your thing. Have a cig, get the smoke on camera, lovely. But that's what it is. It feels really TV and uncinematic and just cheap. And it's just sad to watch. And the fact that Mark Hamill is in it is kind of like... The only thing it's got going for it is that it's better than The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. <laughs> Okay, uh, 1998, and one of the most boringly titled horror films ever, Vampires. Sources close to the investigation report that all the bodies were decapitated. The remains of the heads were found buried a mile away from the murder scene. Two vampire hunters kidnap a woman who's been bitten by the original 14th century bloodsucker and use her as bait. Well, to be fair, to be fair, it's not just called vampires, it's called John Carpenter's vampires. Yes, if you must, yes. And it's John Carpenter's John Carpenter's unique spin on the vampire legend, which is that they all look like 17-year-old goths from the late 90s. Yeah. I don't think I've watched this all the way through in one sitting. I know I've seen the ending and I know I've seen the beginning. And I've probably seen the middle, but I don't think I've seen it all in one go. I think that this is a bad film. Yes, it's not. It's not. It's not good. <laughs> it is a bad film, but it's slightly less shit than it was the first time I watched it. Um, which yeah, damn it with faint praise. This is based on a book that's called Vampires, but it's got a dollar sign instead of the S. And that, that, yeah, I know it's this class. Um, and it, the book was written by a guy whose name was apparently John Stakely. If he wrote a book about werewolves, he'd be called John Silver Bulletly. <laughs> Just wanted to make a dad joke. No reason for that. This film's a bit shit. <laughs> Did John Carpenter make the wooden stakes for this? Oh, God. Because, you know, he's a 
carpenter. He's a carpenter. Yeah. Carpenter. Carpenter. Really good. That's that's good. That's good stuff. Good stuff. So at least some good has come out of John Carpenter's vampires. <laughs> Who had to look on IMDb to find out which Baldwin it was? Could be any of them, couldn't it? Really, looking at. Him. I watched Sopranos recently, so I knew which one it was. It was the one he was in Sopranos. Is it Daniel? Yeah, it is Daniel. Yeah. Yes. How many Baldwins are there? Oh, they just they keep reproducing. It's so endless. When you cut off a piece of one bulb, when another one grows, <laughs> like worms. <laughs> It's one of the most alpha male horror films I've ever seen. God. It's 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 James Woods basically rocking like your dad in his fifties with his jeans up to here <laughs> and the hair going back and him going like, Hey, chubby, mahogany, tits, baby. Come on, baby, I'm gonna say misogynistic things, but it's okay because you're a vampire and I've got my cool sunglasses and I'm a hero and it's like, Oh dad, you got those jeans from Tesco's, didn't you? <laughs> He's the vampire hunter, Jeremy Clarkson. Yeah. <laughs> um, when they've got that priest in the hotel room and James Woods says, you don't wipe your ass unless I tell you, it's a bit of an empty threat, isn't it? Yeah. Like, what, what's he going to do? What's the alternative? <laughs> well, also, we've established enough to know that um, handsome grunge rock priest is quite a nice man. He's not going to, like, wipe his unwiped ass all over their van, is he? I mean, it's just... <laughs> He's just like a dad at a barbecue. That's why I don't like him, because he keeps calling the priest Padre, and then he gets a new priest, so he's like, all right, Padre, and it's like... Oh, Dad, stop it. It's like having your divorced dad, like, at parents' evening, hitting on your art teacher. At the start, where he's got a whole crew, it's like a whole gang of divorced dads. Yeah. And they've all, like, taken up this little hobby since, like, Janine left them. And um... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And they only see the kids, like, at Christmas for half an hour. And, you know, it's it's just grimy. It's just so shit. In the car park in McDonald's, they're just like, son, I've been killing vampires. And the kid goes, I don't believe you, Dad fuck off and it's tragic we're we're now what we're doing is we're coming up with a storyline which is far far better than what actually just loads of like just sad old men riding lawnmowers (laughs) but still with the kind of with the kind of western soundtrack and the vampires are their ex-wives new boyfriends who are much better looking look after themselves and go outside yeah but will they all be lined up with their lawnmowers revving them in one scene Yeah, of course they will. And they'll flip down their little sunglasses because they've got the (laughs) clip-ons. And the story is one of them has got to look after their kid for the weekend. They'll be like, let me show you how dad has fun. Flip down sunglasses. And then... Let's roll! I hate this film so much. It's so bad. It's so awful. If it had been... A much younger cast and a much better looking cast and a much cooler cast and just not made, I think I would enjoy this film. <laughs> if this film didn't exist, it would be amazing. <laughs> if they burned every copy of this film and pretended it never happened and they just subtly delete it from Carpenter's CV on IMDb, then it would be a good film. But I think that that's what most John Carpenter fans have to do, right? Is that you get right. to a certain point and then you just pretend that he didn't make any other films. Well, the truth is... He has only made two horror films since Vampires. The first of which was 2001's Ghost of Mars, which we have talked about before, although I remember it like it was just yesterday. 
there's a bit where someone gets their hand broken on a on a trestle table or something. It looked terrible. If it is just a film where someone gets their hand broken on a trestle table, surely Ghosts of Mars is the most misleading title ever. Because that sounds quite exciting. <laughs> yes, that's right. Whereas it's just it's a DIY accident for two accident. A jumble sale, yeah. jumble sale accident. <laughs> yeah, right. Jumble sale accidents with ice yeah. cube. Wallpaper horror um, of Mars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would and that was from episode 16 on Space Horror. <laughs> Still one of my favourite episodes, actually. Uh, so most recently, and the last feature film that John Carpenter has made to date, is 2010's The Ward. Listen, don't let this place get to you. You stay locked up long enough and you start to believe that you're nuts. Uh, five inmates in a psychiatric ward are attacked by a ghost. <laughs> Sorry, was that was that a five-year-old reading out their story? <laughs> that was a bit school assembly. They were attacked by a ghost. It's oh, all they deserved. Do we blame this film for ending Carpenter's directorial career? Yes. Doesn't it start off all right? And you think, oh, this could be all right. And then you get 20 minutes in and then it turns into just an absolute piece of shit. Yeah. And then you're like, oh. Yeah. yeah, essentially. I mean, the opening credits music is good. <laughs> so it gets it gets at least four minutes in before I was sick of it. It's one of those films where the opening credits, I was like, oh, I know the names, but I don't know the actors. Like Amber Heard came up. I was like, yeah. what do I know her from? Oh, yeah, that's right. From mm. doing the yeah. shit in Johnny Depp's bed. Who, who guessed the twist like within, I mean, I think I was about 30 minutes in. I didn't, but it's more of a twist that wants you to go and tell your friends, oh, I didn't see the twist coming, than, oh, that was a really good twist. It made loads of sense. It, it changed my opinion of the film. It's a twist that loads of other things have done as well. Oh, yeah, it's not good. No. Why did he do it? Because he needed another synthesizer. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) I mean, you could just ask and we'll we'll do a roundup for him. Isn't it one of those things where he must have kind of like gone, oh, they're asking me to do another film. Oh, this could be like my last hurrah, you know? I've got one more chance of making another great film, reclaiming my glory days, doing it, and then... Day one, he shows up and he hasn't got one of them little fold-up director's chairs and he goes, fuck it, it's going to be a shit show. (laughs) And then that's what the ward is. It's like a man that gave up on day one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just sort of boo a ghost. It's it's jump scare full. As in boo a ghost or boo a ghost. You're a terrible ghost, boo. Boo. Yeah. Some of the jump scares work quite well later on if you're into jump scares, which, you know, they don't really do anything for me, but I think some of them are set up quite well. But it's the lowest form of horror. It does seem weird for John Carpenter to do jump scares. I mean, Halloween is full of them. Yeah, Halloween's full of them, but they seem sort of like they're not too over the top. No, this is modern day jump scares. Yeah, it it? just seems that it's not even his own thing that he's doing. But it's either the writers that have sort of just thrown those in, because the writers that are on this, they seem to do a lot of other horrors that are just filled with mm. random jump scares. I feel like John Carpenter just came on board, just said, yeah, I'll direct it for you. And they thought with his name on it. People will go see it. Yeah. Let's finish our Johnny, our John, Johnny, journey. Our, our journey by winding back to 1988 for They Live. What do these things want and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth. Take a look. They are safe as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them. They're everywhere. 
We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble if you're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletales. Now we start spilling some blood. A journeyman construction worker arrives in downtown LA looking for work where he discovers that the working class population's minds are being controlled by subliminal messages. Or to put it another way, it's about a conservative, patriotic man becoming woke, isn't it? It Quite, is. Uh, relevant to today's world. Because he believed in the American dream. He believed he in did. America. Bless him. Yes. And? <laughs> and and that's good. It's a good film, and I like it because it's got a wrestler in it, and and they have fights and alien. It's got what in it? A wrestler. It's got a wrestler. Yeah. A wrestler. Roddy in the pit with Piper, um, who is fucking brilliant in this film. I love it. I really, I just adore this film. I saw it my first year of uni. I still like have the political knowledge of what I went into uni with, with just like, oh, it's bad. Um, so I'm not the most educated person, so it appealed to me when I knew even less back then. But it's just it's got everything I like in it. It's it's fun. It's like it's a bit silly. Uh, it's got aliens. It's got fights. It's got a fucking awesome soundtrack. It's got a brilliant cast. It's bizarre. It's just so much fun. It feels like they couldn't get Kurt Russell, and so they yes. readapted it for Rowdy Roddy Piper. But then you find out that it was specifically tailored for Rowdy Roddy Piper and you go, okay, because I always assumed Kurt Russell was unavailable or they'd had a fallen out and so he just got replaced. I think it takes ages to get going. And then I think the middle section is brilliant. And then it's like you're watching them spend money in real time and run out at the end. And it's like there's no money to finish off the film. It's like a film of two halves, but the shit half is cut in half and put at the beginning and the end. And uh, it's like a shit sandwich. <laughs> but you say the middle bit is good. The middle bit, yeah, I love shit, right? I love shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throw yeah, away yeah. the bread, straight to the shit. Yeah, because how else? How else are you going to get it all over your fingers, right? So, so the middle of the film is legitimately brilliant, but then it just takes so fucking long to get going, and then the ending is so sort of like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's iconic, and it will stick with you forever. And the stuff that works about it, it works forever. That's a really good mm. way of putting it. How long is the film? About an hour and 40-ish? Yeah. feels like they're about an hour and 15 minutes in. They go, fuck, we've almost run out of time. Uh, quick, get to the end. Let's just jump forward a few days, weeks. I don't know. But all of a sudden, everyone's doing different stuff from what they were before. And uh, it's not clear what's suddenly happened, but they just rush through the end and it turns into a poor man's videodrome and then it ends. And... It is a good film, but yeah, I think I agree with everything you say there, Nick. It's, it's iconic and largely good. It's my second favourite John Carpenter film after The Thing. What's good with a lot of John Carpenter's films is they're like the sort of classic old school VHS length of 90 minutes. This one's a little bit longer. I think the longest one that we watched this month was Vampires, which, you know, really shouldn't have been Ooh. that long. That's a lot of, that's at least 10 minutes too much divorce dadding for my liking. Um but with They Live, you kind of feel like there's a bit missing. It could have done with like a little bit more exposition at the end or just a little bit more of the yeah. cool stuff. But it's still a lot of fun. And um, yeah, this is one that I would take any opportunity to just be like, yep, yeah, fuck it. Stick They Live on, watch a really long fight, why not? I just remember the first time I saw They Live, I didn't know about the fight. Mm. And, and it started and I was just watching it. 
And then it just went on and on. I just remember going, this fight is going on for a long time. It's really realistic. And do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel like a movie fight. It feels like it's just two guys punching each other in the face in an alleyway. Because when you do have a punch-up with your mate, not that I've ever had one, it's like, well, when is it going to end? It's just, it's going to end when you're both really tired and just like, mm. ah! But the whole fight is over trying to get his mate to put on a pair of sunglasses. And you mm-hmm. just go, that's brilliant. In a way, it's a shame that this is like the most famous part of They Live, really, is the fight. Because if you discover it organically, just by accident, and you let the film unfold, it's this amazing bit when you're just literally looking at your watch going, how much fucking longer are they going to be just doing this for? It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, it's a good scene. The worst bit is where Holly just drinks some warm white wine that's just sitting on the sideboard. <laughs> that makes me feel ill. that's a true horror film for you you're like but that wine's at the wrong temperature no there'd be a sequel where someone gets a bottle of red out of the fridge it's been sitting in front of a massive window in the LA sun it's going to be horrible you just needed John Carpenter to make a short about that instead didn't you didn't need him to make They Live just do that scene (laughs) what would it be called Halloween oh nice yeah I feel like it's a film that's sort of ahead of its time like I know it's meant to be that he's seeing stuff underneath all the advertisement but if you look at all the movies that come out now sort of big movies all those advertisements and everything are sort of in the films right in your face the whole obey things and sort of seeing those type of posters that's where i think it works because it's sort of talking about society and sort of other things that are in the world at the moment man yeah i wonder how like it would play to the you know that's the sort of anti-woke crowd that whenever they get a whiff of someone opposing the government mm. they're like Ugh, uh, i don't understand these people who just like make tits of themselves defending the ruling class and the government and everything but i reckon if they watch they live would they think john carpenter was some kind of absolute communist no <laughs> I, probably yeah i reckon they'd get it wrong and they'd be like oh yeah see that's biden that is he's an alien he's a pizza gate alien <laughs> pizza face pizza gate it's all connected mate it's all connected mm-hmm. i don't know why all americans talk like your auntie denise but they just do. no it seems, it seems <laughs> unlikely doesn't it no i just love my guns lads, you know what i mean <laughs> I love my guns and my barry <laughs> Well, yeah, if no, they made not, this film now, it would be instead of a mask, they wouldn't want to put the sunglasses on. Yeah, that would be their yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. Ex fucking exactly, brother, comrade. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't troll these bloody IMDb goof sections, not least because goof is a shite word for mistakes. But I did check to see if anyone has noticed this, right? Nada is down to the last pair of sunglasses, yeah? And that's the pair that is being knocked around. And it's like, oh shit, I hope they don't break during the fight because it's the last fucking pair of sunglasses. And he eventually gets them on Frank. They have one pair of glasses to share between them. And in the very next scene, they're both walking down the street wearing a pair of sunglasses each. I never realised that it was the last pair of sunglasses. Yeah. I thought it was just a pair of sunglasses. Doesn't he have a big box of sunglasses? Yeah, but he loses all but one of them in the dust cart. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to rewatch it now. Yeah. I think you're remembering it wrong. No, to be fair, I was watching it with special sunglasses on, so maybe I was seeing things that you hadn't. <laughs> Did you read the other goof? Did you read that the alien at the magazine stand gets his change twice? <gasps> Not having that. I mean, that could be part of the satire, couldn't it? They get their tax rebates and they get their uh, special um, uh, subsidies from the government. Yeah. yeah. Could be. Yeah. It isn't. 
Could be. <laughs> no one's going along with me on these things. You know what? I, I hate the bit where she's drinking the warm wine the most. That was more popular. I know I could just go on about warm wine the whole time. That's a satire on um, the oppression of the people. It's a direct reference to Das Kapital. Which bit? The warm wine? Yeah, the warm wine in chapter six about you know, mishandling the Chardonnay of the people. <laughs> okay good my point is that you could say anything was part of the satire in that including the thing about the um there being an extra pair of sunglasses if that is what happens did the clothing brand obey did that come from this that's what i've always wondered because it's yeah, it's the same font, isn't it? Yeah. There's a graffiti artist as well that uses a lot of... Yeah, there is, yeah. uses Obey, a lot of images from this. Yeah, it is. The um, the company appropriates themes and images using its clothing from the John Carpenter film They Live. Oh, great. So it's Googleable. I mean, I didn't need to waste everyone's time by asking <laughs> you on the podcast. I could have just Googled it myself. That's well, fine. We've saved people no, that's cool. that's cool. time. Like, if someone's listening and going, I wonder, you know, we've, we've done a service, so, you know, it's what we're here for. Save yeah. you a Google. All right, uh, shall we move on to our game of scary noises? There are six pairs of audio clips to identify coming up. One half of each pair comes from a John Carpenter horror film, and the other half will be from some random non-John Carpenter horror film. Brian, and Nick, you're on a team, and you're... Against Emily and Luke. So, Nick, and you brought along a oh, lovely recorder. And you brought along a lovely recorder. I, I say I brought along. It was on my desk while we were talking, <laughs> and I picked it up, and now I'm using it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you brought it along to our studio in, uh, in <laughs> at the top of a tower somewhere in a glamorous place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Here's the first pair of scary noises. You know how much people on the street pay for a hot rod? You want money? They don't steal money. Fucking bullshit, bro. You want this new tip or not? All right, let's hear it. 1837 Buena Vista Street. Houses with your... Bryony! Is the music from the ward? It is. Did you get the dialogue? Yeah, we did. Bryony, take it away. (laughs) (laughs) It's from this fucking bullshit, bro. That one. I don't know. Yeah, don't it, know. Well, it is that one, but no. It's okay. that one. Luke and Emily, can you get the dialogue? You know how much people on the street pay for a hot rod? You want money? Then steal money. Fucking bullshit, bro. You want this new tip or not? All right, let's hear it. 1837 Buena Vista Street. Houses with your dad's security company already checked. Um, don't brief. Yeah, well done. It is Don't Breathe. Uh, Number two. What's all this debris? You think you think this could be the village that disappeared? That was Bryony's a, a metaphone or whatever it's called. Automatone. Automatone. Music was uh, the divorced dad vampire. Yeah. <laughs> Dialogue. Uh, something about a village that disappeared. So, Nick, take it away. Yeah, of course. It's uh, the 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 village. It's not the village. Uh, Luke and Emily, dialogue again to get. What's all this debris? You think you think this could be the village that disappeared? When it didn't flat, whatever it was, it's been pretty well flattened. Hey, look, look on the ground. Look everywhere. They're all around us. Pieces of meteorite, and they're the same. They're exactly the same as the one we've got. Anything? Is it the thing from another world? No, it's um, quite a mass too. Damn it. Oh, for fuck's sake. I knew that. Did you? 
<laughs> did you? Just yeah. did you? <laughs> did you? <laughs> I knew. I knew that. Did you? <laughs> uh, number three. These decisions will be probably the most intimate, personal, difficult decisions. Yes, Emily. Uh, the dialogue is from Village of the Damned. It is. And did you get the music? No. Luke, music. Um, no, I, I don't know what film. Brian, in it. Can you get the music? These decisions will be probably the most intimate, personal, difficult decisions that you ever make in your life. However, because your pregnancies have attracted intense scientific interest, including the National Institutes of Health and National Science Foundation, those of you who decide to have your child will have all prenatal expenses paid. It sounds like something Danny Elfman would have composed. <sighs> Is it a horror film? Yeah, it's a horror, oh, yeah, it's film. A, it's a horror film. Yeah, sounds more like a kids' horror film. It sounds like one that's like padding over suburbia, like the beginning of Beetlejuice. You yeah, mean, right? but it's not Beetlejuice. It's not Beetlejuice. If it wasn't horror, I would have said, "Oh, it sounds like uh, the music from Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn's House Sitter," <laughs> but <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> um, um, is it Stepford Wives? No, what it is, is it's not Danny Elfman, it's a Danny Elfman pastiche, it's The Witches, Nicholas Roeg's The Witches. Mm. Oh. oh, right, fine. Ah. Halfway stage, it is two all. Uh, here's number four. It's 11.45, out late tonight. Yes, Bryony. The dialogue is, someone's watching me. Yes. Music, very difficult music at this. Yeah, I think. very difficult music. I don't know. It sounds. You actually like... got the title wrong, isn't it? Somebody's watching. No, me. it's not. No, it's, it's someone's. someone's. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Take that. Sorry, Brian, you didn't say the exclamation mark. I did. Come I on, literally guys. went. Rah! Come on, guys. <laughs> Let's try and get through this uh, this games round uh, as friends. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is the stress of this every single month, Nick. <laughs> I love this is my favourite part. Um, I don't know what the music is. You won't get the music from that no. little you heard anyway. So, Luke and Emily, music. It's 11.45, out late tonight. I hope you like the drapes, because they're staying where they are. I want to see you. Yeah. Well, that's tough. Telescope. Who are you? I'm not far away. Is it the Conjuring 2? Oh, so close! Insidious 2. Oh. oh. Okay, number five. Yeah, I bumped into something this. Right, <laughs> it's number five. Yeah, I bumped into something this afternoon. It's starting to hurt. Probably nerves. It's a bruise, Walter. You Hi, uh, the dialogue is from Prince of Darkness. It is. Music? Don't I? Right, Luke and Emily, music to identify. Yeah, I bumped into something this afternoon. It's starting to hurt. Probably nerves. It's a bruise, Walter. You don't bruise from nerves. I used to break out when I was 12. Doctor said it was homosexual panic. I'll see you Monday morning. As if it wasn't difficult enough, you got that bloke popping <laughs> over the top of it from Prince of Darkness. Um, <laughs> no, don't know. No, that was very no difficult. Idea. It was excision. Uh, so scores are four-two to Brian and Nick. Uh, so Luke and Emily, you could still win if you get a bonus. So here we go, number six, last one. I knew something was wrong. I should have. 
I should have forced you to stay on the yacht, and then you'd all be alive. I've got to tell you, I feel pretty alive right now. Soon you're going to be dead. Hey, easy on the grabbing. Everything that happened. Emily. Is the music the fog? It is. Now, <laughs> can you get the dialogue as well and win? Three people easy on the grabbing. I don't know. The faculty. Oh, no. Brian and Nick, can you get the dialogue? I knew something was wrong. I should have I should have forced you to stay on the yacht and then you'd all be alive. I've got to tell you, I feel pretty alive right now. Soon you're going to be dead. Hey, easy Victor. on the grabbing. Everything that happened to you happened to you before. God, I can't even believe I'm talking this shit. Victor, you're going to die. You'll all die. And then, and then Downey and then Sally and then Greg. Uh, Bryony, Nick. Why, when I hear it now, I know what yeah. it is. Yeah. It's a final destination or similar. Mm. Is it a final destination? I just don't know which no, one. No, no, no. Go on, Luke. I, I thought, Luke, you were going to say what it was when you said, oh, three people. What, what do you think it is? <laughs> I thought final destination as well. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. So, it's, it's triangle. Oh! Oh, triangle. Ah, shit, shit. Oh, that's why she's saying it's going to happen in yeah. in order of them dying because they'd seen it before. Exactly. Why did I forget that? I've not seen that, so I feel fine about this. Oh, it's a great film. Anyway, that is a four-three to Brian and Nick. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you've had a good time. Is there anything coming up that you'd like to plug? Um, I've got nothing that I'm plugging at the moment. I just came here for fun. Good. Well, I mean, I'm glad you came here for fun, but uh, we'll see you back on the circuit soon, I'm sure. We'll have to get you back down to my yes. pub soon. It's yes. been a while. Okay, uh, next month, Emily has picked British 1970s horror as our theme. And Emily, what have you chosen as one of our features? Uh, Deathline. You certainly have. Um, And our guest devils, two of them, will be comedian Andrew O'Neill and his Full Moon Online driving co-host Megan Eileen Williams. And they've selected Theatre of Blood as our other feature. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's Deathline and Theatre of Blood and a whole bunch more British horror from the 70s on next month's show. Until then, keep spreading the word and thanks for listening. (laughs) 